Uh, I have uh, another. I have another uh, milestone that we have hit as a podcast um, are, this week. Are, have we been canceled? Is is that the the milestone? No, no. I wouldn't call that. <laughs> I wouldn't call that a milestone. I wouldn't. I, uh... I wouldn't lead with it. Nor would I. Would I say it with any degree of happiness or pride? Uh, no. Um, in fact, as far as you know, as far as this week goes. We are the number 69 TV and film podcast in Israel. Uh, so hello to all of our Israeli listeners. I guess good greetings. <laughs> Mild <laughs> greetings. <laughs> um, 60, is there anywhere else we're in 69th? I mean, I, I, mm. no, no reason I'm asking in particular. It's just uh, kind of a funny number. Yeah, we, I mean, we've been kind of, uh, this is all from kind of email, semi-automated emails that I get every now and then Ah. to let us know if we have like, you know, uh, new um, Apple podcast reviews or stuff like that. So, you know, every once in a while we fall into a, into a certain chart at a rather seemingly random number. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there that uh, we're in the top 100 uh, podcasts about TV and film in uh, an entire country, it seems. So that's pretty nice. I, I, I was I, I I wish I knew any celebratory Yiddish, but I do not. No, nor would I try to attempt it. Uh, welcome everybody to Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Uh, it's Will Young here, along with Lucas Mancini. Um, I'm trying to speak in a bit of a lower register because I just had a. Um, <laughs> I was just speaking for a very very long time as part of one of my other jobs, so I'm just trying not to overdo it. I'm going to is- have some nice honey lemon tea uh, with uh, after after this to. Give give my old voice box a break. This is the uh, NPR episode of Elwood City Limits. We're going to be talking like this the whole time. I'm, of course, Lucas Mancini. Uh, it's lovely to join you for yet another week. Um, and I could, I could get even closer. We could do the ASMR episode, Will. Everybody's, yeah, everybody's been waiting on the ASMR episode. Later on in the program, we're going to be speaking with Awesome Eddie Twenty One, who has undergone quite a sticker franchise that we've been uh, looking to uh, talk about for quite a while now, and we'll be hearing his thoughts on that. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> I'm obviously not quite an Ira Glass type of personality, but I just need to keep it a little careful. I can feel the strain beginning, but I didn't want to miss out on this episode because we'll be talking about the season finale of Arthur season 12 in good time. First things first, of course, um, one, one last time before we forget, before we do anything else, Lucas, we have our listeners have until this Sunday October the 3rd, to vote for us at vote.thecoast.ca as best podcast. That's right. So I wanted to make sure to get that out in the open. This is likely the last time that we'll talk about it this year, and then Mm -hmm. it'll be up to the votes to decide who is the best podcast and where we rank. Yeah, and next time we'll talk about it, it'll be from the fancy party where they give us our plaque, because (laughs) I believe in us, and I believe in you folks out there. Uh, Thanks, everybody who voted already, and, and thanks, everybody who plans to vote. Indeed. Thank you very much to everybody who has. If you haven't yet, go to vote.thecoast.ca. We are in the best podcast category. You can vote for us there. I believe it may ask you for information, but you can pretty much just enter any old thing. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you, whether you voted or not. We just appreciate that you're listening. But I think we have, I think every year our chance gets a little bit better to at least place, if not, uh, you know, rank gold. We will see. Um, all right, let's get into emails. We actually have just one email. 
uh, sent to us at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. It's from former guest on the show, Viv. Uh, Viv has not uh, uh, spoken to us in quite a while, and it's nice to hear from them again. As they say in the email, it's been a long time since I've written to you guys. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I had a rough year with its up and downs, mostly downs. Sorry to hear that, Viv. I was so busy with other things, I didn't take the time to listen to the podcast. I finally decided to make the time to continue to listen while I'm walking to work. Ah, what a nice what a nice um, time to be listening to podcasts. I appreciate that we're your go-to for that. Listening to you guys talk about my favorite TV show always puts a smile on my face. When you guys were talking about the cherry tree episode, it reminded me of the cherry tree I used to have at my old home. It didn't grow any cherries, just pink cherry blossoms once a year. I called it the cherryless cherry tree. And now I relate to that episode more than ever. You see, my family and I recently moved, and the people who bought our house were house flippers. Weeks after staying at our new home, my sister found out what the house flippers did to our old house. They made it ugly and modern with no sense of charm. But most importantly, they tore down all the trees, including the cherry tree. Those flippers had no respect for Mother Nature. I love those trees, and now they only exist in our memory. I, I I saw a particularly damning video of a house flipper like doing a TikTok video this week, and mm, it really, mm, ugh, it, mm. it, it 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 really uh, raised my gorge. Let's say, <laughs> uh, I to, to all the house to all the house flippers out here, I'm I'm flipping something at you right now. I'm not gonna say what it is, but. Uh, uh, it's, 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 it's an audio medium, but, uh, let's just say I got, oh, and now, now I'm flipping two of the, the appendage. You're just going to have to guess what the, what they are though. <laughs> uh, Will and Grace made house flipping seem so interesting back in the early 2000s and turns out it can actually be used for, for evil. On a brighter note, did you know that there was a poll on the Arthur website to vote for the Lakewood Elementary School mascot? The choices were for the green-tailed grebe or a puffin. I took some time to decide because the choices were to vote for an iconic fictional bird or a real-life puffin. Uh, The one I voted for won. Yes, Viv is correct. There was a poll on the Arthur site between making the Lakewood Elementary um, mascot the grebe or the puffin, and it it was accompanied by uh, the most recent... Um, Arthur Flash video that they put up on Arthur's YouTube. It was, you know, it, it was it was fine. It's uh, I think Buster was for the puffin and Binky was for the Grebe. So I did not get the chance to vote, but the Grebe is what I would have voted for, and the Grebe won. So there you go. Um, congrats on winning, Viv. Lastly, when I was listening to the ECL episode where Buster went to camp on his own. And after that episode, during the Word From Us segment, where you were describing how the kids, where the kids were, it sounded familiar. I have been here before, back in 2006 or 2007, when I was eight or nine years old in third grade. Uh, Viv is referring to, um, it was essentially, I think they called it Farm Camp. Mm-hmm. That's uh, where the kids went in that episode, uh, in the Word From Us Kids segment. I think I've told you about this before. This was where I learned how to make scrambled eggs, where I touched my first electric fence. I'm okay. It stung. Where I fed a baby brown cow and saw them eat cereal with milk on the cow's nose, and where I got to name a pig, I think. Flicka. I don't know if the name stuck. Anyway, it was an interesting experience at that farm school, spending three days and two nights there. And if you look closely at one scene where all the kids are sitting, you can see one of the kids playing with a necklace. These are wooden handmade name tags. I think I still have mine, but it might be difficult to find since we moved. I believe I had a fun time at farm school. I don't remember it that well. Well, thank you, Viv. Um, I appreciate everything uh, from you. Good to hear from you once again. And, uh, of course... Uh, no matter who you are, we always appreciate your memories associated with Arthur, Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. And of course, wanted to acknowledge 
our wonderful patrons who uh, we got a bit of an influx, Lucas. I'm happy to say that a bunch of people have migrated towards the Patreon, and it's because we just put out um, the most recent piece of Arthur content that we've ever covered. We just did a bit of a kind of laid-back, laissez-faire review of Arthur's first day, the most recent Arthur special, and it seems a couple people really wanted to hear it, so we've got some new people to welcome into the fold. People like... Yes. Uh, people are just, you know, so drawn in by the, the, the this show you folks listen to, the free feed. Um, this is me and Will at our most professional, you know, uh, mm-hmm. morning radio. This is polished. There's, there's sheen. You know, once you get behind that paywall, that's where things get a little bit more relaxed. You know, things get a little mm. bit more Elwood City, Elwood City really letting our hair down. Um, and so if you want our, our hot takes... Our, our first impressions of that new Arthur special, uh, that's the place to go. You, As a free feed listener, you may hear that review sometime in the future, but as of right now, there's no immediate plans to put it on the free feed. Mm-hmm, so the Patreon mm-hmm. is where it'll stay, uh-huh. patreon.com slash Limits. <laughs> as well as I'm now remembering uh, Will's Matrix takes as well. If you want to hear, mm. we decided to put the Matrix takes behind the paywall. Uh, unless yeah, you, can, unless you, you follow you kinda, him kinda, on a letterbox. You kind of sprung that on me a little bit, but uh, yeah, another reason to uh, join our Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Such wonderful people like Sarah, Bradley Boy, Lauren Rodriguez, Derek Risopo, Ashley, Pradyat Navanith, and I also want to give a special shout out to, as we mentioned at the top, Awesome Eddie 21 A nice little care package found its way into my mail this week, and it will be finding its way to Lucas very soon as well. And you can check this on all of our social feeds. Eddie sent us some wonderful Arthur-themed stickers and stickers of our own faces. This is this was a super cool gift. I'm like I'm always touched when anybody sends us a gift. Not that you have to. Please don't feel like you have to. But every once in a while, we get an enterprising fan who will send us something, and it's really touching and super cool. Now I have to figure out. Yeah. The best place to put these stickers, because the truth be told, I don't want to lose these stickers. Like, I don't want to put them on something that I won't have for the rest of my life. Uh, and and for folks, there was some interest of people messaging on Instagram and in the, in the Discord about can they get a hold of some of these stickers? And I believe uh, he has a – it's not a red bubble, right? But he's got a storefront that you can kind of – I think it's I think it's an Etsy store. An Etsy store where you can get the stickers. So uh, go check out Awesome Eddie Twenty One on Instagram and in his bio, yeah. you can uh, order some stickers from his Etsy store. And uh, yeah, Eddie, thank you. We really appreciate it. And a thank you to our patrons as well. We'll have a little bit more about what you can expect near the end of the episode. All right, this is it—the final episode of season twelve. Before we uh, keep on trucking through the Arthur, the Arthur timeline, and we're starting off with an episode called "The Perfect Game." And it starts off that uh, the game they're referring to, of course, is is baseball. Arthur, Buster, Francine, and Muffy are attending a very close game between the Elwood City Grebes. I, I love how much more they're using the Grebes. It means that my Grebes T-shirt is more relevant than it's ever been. Also, I, I don't believe it's close at all. Actually, it's on the verge of a of a no hitter. It's about to be a perfect game for the Grebes. So that's actually the opposite of close. I suppose I suppose so. I mean, I guess I meant close and score, but you're but you're right. It's not like a neck and neck sort of thing. It's the Greaves and the Crown City Kings. They're on the verge of a perfect game, which I actually kind of wasn't aware of before watching this episode. Um, the figure at one point 
Francine throws out the figure because Muffy's kind of the non-baseball fan, and she's bored because there have been no runs yet. But only 17 perfect games have happened in a century of MLB. I looked it up. The number has now grown to 23 since this episode aired. So 23 Mm. perfect games, which means that there were not only no runs in the span of a game, but nobody got on base. Right. So that was interesting for me to learn. I had no idea. Uh, So Francine, Arthur, and Buster, very interested to see this go to a perfect game. And unfortunately, it doesn't. In fact, the Greaves score a run and they win, which is completely disappointing to Francine because she wanted to be in person for a perfect game. And this, I, I was kind of wondering, I thought maybe this is where we would stay, but this kind of provides the the springboard into what the episode is eventually about. So the episode is really about Mr. Ratburn's new assignment, which is two partners will get together and create their own city, which is, uh, it's just one of those projects that, man, I haven't had to think about something like that in a long, long time. Something that calls upon your creativity. Yeah, did you ever have to do something like this? I was trying to figure out, like, what even is the, besides, you know, arts and crafts, kind of what is the educational value in this besides making you think about, like, I guess, public infrastructure? I, 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 uh, it's one of those, like, build a diorama where I'm like, unless there's kind of a written component, I I don't really know what, it seems really fun, um, or if it was for an art class, but I'm not sure what's getting taught here. Uh, uh, did you ever have to do anything like this? Probably something similar, but maybe not exactly like this. I imagine, like, I can remember, like, I definitely did projects where, like, you have to make a map of mm-hmm. your own city. Mm-hmm. And it was all about kind of wayfinding and map building and directions and, uh, you know, creating a compass and spacing and stuff like that. I remember you would have to kind of make it so that the the measurements made sense. Like, you would have to make your own scale, your own scale and then have everything kind of make sense. So this is kind of like that, but this is involving, like you said, much more diorama building. Uh, so Arthur and Francine get put together. Uh, and we right away see, again, in the stick figure style <laughs> of which we've seen before, Arthur's idea for a city, which is actually, was very surprised, surprised and pleased, a very sustainable idea. Yes. So he starts off, his idea has to do with, you know, there are hot air balloon buses that are powered by winds and by, like, people on um, pedal bikes. The only, it's, it's, you know, there's no cars. The only cars that would be allowed to be ambulances and fire trucks. Everyone else gets around on human power and even adds to the point where since everybody would be getting around on bicycles and skateboards and stuff like that, you wouldn't have to buy one. And it's this very like utopian, almost like Mm. Roddenberry uh, idea for the future. My only, my only criticism, it's a great idea. It's not very accessible necessarily. And uh, we don't have a lot of options for people who are, um, who may have different physical um, disabilities or what have you, but it's a really good start. It was actually really cool to see Arthur being like this super granola lefty who is yeah, just like I, I was wind like, power did, and turbines. Did and stuff. Uh, did Arthur Reed do Android's Dream of Electric Cars by uh, uh, Winnipeg author James Wilt, which is all about kind of public inf- uh, public transportation. Um, and how, you know, you should be designing uh, uh, cities around public transportation as opposed to uh, uh, designing them around uh, individual car ownership and how kind of everyone benefits as a result. Uh, so it was interesting to see some of those concepts uh, involved in, in Arthur's city planning. 
Um, I, I also uh, was tickled by this. So that's kind of Arthur's idea and what he's bringing to the to the fold. Francine is really stuck on the idea of creating um, a really awesome stadium, and it's all <laughs> it's it's all kind of predicated on the fact that she thinks that you know if the walls were higher on the uh, on the stadium, the baseball stadium where they saw the Grebes play, then they would have gone to a perfect game. So that's kind of the idea she has in mind. And, and this is a, the, this is a yeah. really funny because as as far as municipal politics go. Um, sometimes it can be difficult to, to, you know, put municipal politics on a left-right scale. Uh, yeah. But this is actually, like, a pretty good example of um, two very different schools of thought of, of city building. About, you know, Arthur's trying to uh, build all this infrastructure and, and, and make it a walkable city where everybody uses public transit. And he's, you know... Uh, giving people free um, um, skateboards and bicycles and, and all these things. Whereas uh, Francine's taking the, if you build it, they will come approach by investing millions and millions of dollars of uh, taxpayer money into a giant stadium, hoping that it's like, Oh, you know, it'll bring all these things to the city, which is kind of like uh, a super exaggerated version of, of two sides of, of kind of municipal politics and the way kind of public money gets inv- invested and, and spent. Um, so it was funny to see kind of the children's idea of it represented here. Uh, to add a bit of local flavor, it's like we kind of had a bit of a, this debate within the last couple of years exactly. when we were talking about when Halifax was talking about building like a, a sports stadium here. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of like criticism of just like, you know, we could actually use more money to like fund public transportation mm-hmm. or especially these days, um, a lower income housing mm-hmm. or, um, you know, shelters and stuff like that. So it it is it is kind of funny. You break it down to that. It is a bit more of a left right thing than than uh, it seems on its face. They're talking about this in the Sugar Bowl. There's actually this really cool shot I wanted to shout out where the Sugar Bowl waitress, like we see her entering the kitchen and we're actually from behind the kitchen door and Arthur and Francine are framed by the door window. It's not often that Arthur gets like kind of um, ambitious with its shots. So I wanted to shout that out. I thought that was cool. So Francine is obsessed with stadium building. She wants to co- she wants to build Frenway Park, which I re- I love that name. Great name. So she has one of her first dreams that night as she's kind of obsessing over it. She dreams that in her ideal stadium there will be a high left wall, like so high that uh, the people sitting at the top are freezing, and that will prevent the um the essentially the home run that the Grebes hit. And there will also be speakers on the right field foul pole to kind of truly add to the gravitas of like the baseball player lefty uh, coming out to the to the pitch. Um, there's a little bit of reality in this in that like there's um, like baseball stadiums more so than almost every other kind of professional sport in the states at least. You know, a, a basketball court is a regulation-sized basketball court. It doesn't change no matter what city you're in. Um, but in some cases, baseball parks can actually be different sizes, and, and they're, uh, right. the different ways they're constructed actually does change, impact the game. I mean, it's a lot less, again, it's a lot less exaggerated and intense than this. You're never going to see, like, a giant wall. But there are situations where, because of the way the stadium is, uh, it's easier to get a home run or it's harder to get a home run um, uh, and then there's also even baseball stadiums with like really crazy, uh, uh, accoutrement, um, kind of like, uh, 
Francine's daydreaming about here. For instance, I think is it the one where the Marlins play? I'm not. That's a rhetorical question. I know you don't know well, but there's <laughs> there's like one with a big fish tank. There's like uh, uh, I think it's the one where the Marlins play. One of the fish uh, baseball teams have one with the one like that, a big crazy fish tank in it. The one that comes to mind is the is the Buccaneer Stadium that has a giant pirate ship. Mm. Yeah, and I the assume one with the, can- the one with the cannons that go off. I assume you know that from WrestleMania. Actually, no. It was from that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, but also from the. There's a. There's a clip. There's a YouTube clip, and I don't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. It's just where they like capture replay because you know it's a. It, I think it's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, or or don't, whatever. Um, and they like let off the cannons when like a. Uh, like you get a touchdown or something. And I remember they had like a video of Cam Newton as he's like, you know, mugging to the camera and then the cannon goes off and he like immediately ducks. And and it's, and it's like a replay as the commentators are watching. It was like, yeah, duck cam. <laughs> I don't know. It's it. I, I find it really funny. And every once in a while I go looking for it again and it makes me smile. So Fenway Park, uh, Francine has this dream. Arthur creates a cool, like a really cool diorama made out of just like household objects of his town. But Francine is still like meticulously researching and designing her stadium uh, to the point where it's holding up the rest of the project. Uh, we we get a we get a point where like you know Arthur says like you're supposed to build like there are other stuff you're supposed to build besides the stadium and Francine's says arthur the stadium is the most important part of the city the school and the hospital can wait <laughs> it's very much like we're getting a little bit of um from sim city or uh, uh uh city city skylines kind of logic here where um i feel like the people in arthur and francine's town are going to be quite unhappy there's their unhappiness rating is going to go up because there's no hospital and they're all going to be getting <laughs> sick and then they're going to be woefully uneducated because there's no school but um you know there's definitely going to be lots of uh, uh, perfect baseball games, I guess. It's like prioritizing the roller coaster and roller coaster tycoon, but you don't build the bathrooms exactly. or the f- exactly. food vendors. Um, so I also I also liked I liked seeing uh, all of the other looks into the other group's projects. Like we see, like Francine goes to Muffy's, and Muffy has like designed her city while she has had George in his garage building like a Peter Jackson esque scale model of their city. It's he's like undergoing this days long process, and she's yeah. like supervising him via webcam. Yes, that's that's what I thought was really funny about it is that she's like hooked up some sort of system where it's like people who. Um, set up, uh, I, I don't know what they're called, but like those kind of surveillance systems in their house where they can like check on their animals, like the little right. doggy cams. Uh, but she's like set one of those up in George's garage so she can Skype in and talk to George at any time. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it, it's just funny to think about that pairing. They don't really say all that much to each other, but Muffy and George together. Um, as Francine is researching, uh, Earlier in the episode, we got kind of looks at different types of stadiums, uh, including one that Arthur calls out as being in Istanbul, and that's paid off a little later because Francine wants to instant message Adil, Arthur's pen pal from Istanbul, for uh, advice on like the local coliseum there. Um, again, always happy that they're that they they didn't just let Adil like stay in that one episode. Like they they're bringing him up more often than you would think. I know. I would like to see like an actual appearance of Adil, because uh, I do. I do love when they bring him up, just namesake wise. But it'd be nice to see hear from him again. There's lots of stories we could incorporate him in. 
Absolutely. Maybe Arthur goes to Istanbul one of these times. We'll have to find out. Uh, so the problem now is that Francine's design is not meeting her ideas. Like, she's finally creating a model of it using a hat box that Muffy has, but it's just not really meeting her dream designs. She has another dream where, you know, she sees her ideal stadium, and then Lefty, the the Grebes player, is, like, criticizing her because, like, like the wall is too high, but that doesn't mean now it means we can't get any home runs either. And the speakers on the foul pole are like super loud and they like shake the stadium. So Francine's uh, having a bit of crisis. Lefty, by the way, voiced by Bruce Dinsmore, the legend. Love it. Another yet another voice that he provides. You know what? I couldn't even tell that was him. And that's like Bruce has a bit of a distinctive uh, vocal signature, I would call it. So I actually didn't even notice that was him. Um. So Francine's like finally makes her model and tries to move it, but it collapses. And, you know, that it seems like that might be the end. But Arthur and she help to redesign it. And using a bunch of spare parts from the dump, they create what Francine calls the Frenskium. Not as good as Fenway Park, but it's sort of a modern ruins version of like a Colosseum. And they create like this modern ruined city kind of between her and Arthur's ideas. Kind of an interesting way to incorporate that. We also see we catch a glimpse of Buster and Brain's uh, diorama, which is that they have created like a radial city that has like a bunch of paths branching out from the center. And they've created edible cars made out of sausages. (laughs) You could really tell. I I do like the idea of... um... They, because it's a group project, they really made uh, each of the three cities kind of be an amalgamation of the two people. So, for instance, mm-hmm. in, in Muffy and George, it's it's which is probably just the best one. It's George's you know amazing craftiness and handiwork combined with Muffy's uh, design sensibilities, and then of course with Brains, you know Brain probably was showing off his technological power as oh you know it's a circular city look at this intricate system and buster's contribution was they should make sausage cars <laughs> and they're pretty good too pretty pretty thick sausages but ratburn really loves francine and arthur's idea and uh, that seems to get them a good mark as they as the gang takes in another baseball game at the end Francine has somewhat rid herself of the idea of seeing the perfect game because the lesson to take out of this is that something doesn't need to be perfect to be enjoyable. Although then Francine starts getting more ideas for the stadium, such as a light above your chair whenever you need something. And Arthur kind of groans. So that's the idea. You don't something doesn't need to be perfect in order to be still enjoyable. And we'll return to that when we talk about it a bit later. And speaking of a bit later, we will be getting into the final story of season 12, right after this. This podcast is supported by listeners like you, and here's how. Over on our social networks, you can follow us and find the latest updates and some fun photos. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, and Elwood City Limits on Instagram. You can support us monetarily by going over to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive audio content like our new PBS Kids show, movie reviews, and sneak previews of upcoming content. 
Support us as well by going to teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood dash city dash limits dash store or search Elwood City Limits on Teespring. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a tank top, or a hoodie with the Elwood City Limits logo or an exclusive design by our friend Josh. Elwood City Limits is available online at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits where you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. Is it not on your favorite app? Let us know. And you can always help us by spreading the word, tell your friends, and send us a message either on social media or an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Lucas, pets are smarter than we think, Mm. or at least so Arthur would tell us uh, in this cold open for DW's Furry Freakout. And we get a, a... I, I At first I was like, is this supposed to be in a younger Arthur or something? But we get a palette-swapped Arthur, too. He's rocking the blue in this open. Kind of similar to the one in Arthur's first day. Although I listed this as a potential continuity error. So we see, like, basically a montage of Arthur training Pal. And the idea is, is that Arthur trained Pal just as much as Pal kind of trained him. Uh, but Arthur seemed a bit younger than eight years old when he was training Pal here. Of course... Uh, Arthur's story of getting pal, one of the earlier episodes, but I believe it was still canonically when Arthur was eight years old. Again, Arthur had a very busy 365 days of mm-hmm. turning, mm-hmm. of being eight years old. But I think that was that was kind of the idea of when he got pal. So, but like you, he just, I, I, I can't even really like, it's a, I listed it only as a potential continuity error. He looks a little younger, but he might be, he might be eight and just have different clothes on. I don't know. So, not not going to call anybody out for this one. So this one starts with Arthur and Buster playing football in the park. And uh, as Buster tr- as Buster's trying to learn how to catch a football, he actually ends up saving another cat. And they even kind of make a little reference to Buster Baxter Cat Saver. And now- from way back in season two, I think at, that at, was? At this point, you know, the first time, the first two times, rather, Buster saved a cat, it was like a coincidence. And now I think he legitimately does have some sort of cat-saving superpower. Perhaps some sort of a sixth sense, but he just basically held out his arms and the cat dropped into it. This cat, by the way, we're we're told many times it's a kitten, although it is pretty sizable. It's a very cute orange tabby cat Mm -hmm. that they end up taking back to Arthur's house. And it immediately takes a shine to DW, and DW likes it very much as well. Um, this, uh, they, they kind of have a bit where DW doesn't give the cat a proper name because they decide to hang on to it and look after it while they put up found cat posters. So DW never gives it a proper name, but we do get some, like, I, I did write down a couple of the names and it reminds me of one of my favorite, my personal favorite Elwood City Limits bits. And it's not so much a bit, it's just something funny that you did, Lucas, literally like five years ago. It was the episode with um, where Arthur was taking care of Mrs. Wood's dog. Right. And, you know, in the episode, she, you know, she calls the dog like sweetie, furry, facey, poopy baby. Mm-hmm. And then you you read it off your notes and you were just like, she calls it sweetie, furry, facey, poop baby (laughs) well it's true and you know what i probably remarked upon that five years ago because i found the baby voice annoying and the it remains to be true here 
as well. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm usually a staunch DW defender. Um, mm. I, I'm team DW, even when other people may be a little bit annoyed by her. But I found this insipidly annoying, insufferably annoying, insipid. Either Ins- way, it, insipid or insufferably annoying. Yeah, I, I, I was not a fan of the sweetie widow kitty witty. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't like it. I don't know why. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be I, the type when I have a kid, and you know, obviously this is. Uh, easy to say now maybe my whole t- tune will change when i actually do have a child but i feel like if i have a kid i'm gonna be like hello good morning how are you doing you know and then they'll learn english faster instead of being like well and i'm to understand that there is value into speaking to your kids like as you would speak to any normal human like yeah. it ca- it causes them to kind of you don't you kind of don't want to baby babble too much to them you want to speak to them and it helps them kind of develop that language center. So I think you're on the right track, but we'll see if you change your tune. I just wrote down a couple of the potential names that DW has because she's wondering what to name it. So, you know, she calls it Snooky Ookie. We get uh, Catty Waddy Wiggy Wuggy Bunk hmm. and Cutie Pooty Bitty Kitty Yum Yum. But she never said she never settles on one of them. Bitty Kitty Yum Yum, it starts to sound like like Playboy Cardi ad-libs after a certain point. Bitty Kitty Yum Yum. What do you want to eat it, Will? So as much as DW likes the cat, the idea around this episode is that by having the cat around, you know, she's you know, she's snuggling with it. They really like each other. and But eventually it starts to kind of rub up against DW in the wrong way. Like uh, the first thing is that DW has trouble keeping the cat off of her bed and it kind of keeps her up all night, which I actually relate to when I visited my friend Luke in Toronto. uh, He has two cats that they don't let into the bedrooms and I was sleeping in the couch. I had a, I had a lot of trouble sleeping in the midst of two cats who were obviously they were, you know, up past their bedtime because there's a stranger in their house and they were like jumping up and around the couch, chasing each other around, and they would run into me. and And uh, it did end up okay, though. I did manage to get to sleep, and I woke up with one of the cats curled up on my lap, so that was okay. There, there was a part in this that reminded me of my cat, which is right. Uh, yes, and, your new cat. And, and people who, uh, you know, really listen to the show with noise suppression headphones might have even picked up on this. But sometimes when the door to my room is closed, uh, similarly to when DW is kind of fed up with trying to sleep to the cat, and she puts her uh, outside of her bedroom, you could hear the cat kind of give a meow uh, of trying to get back in. And my cat is notorious uh, for for crying like a baby uh, when she can't get into a room that she wants to get into. Yeah, my friend Amanda's new kitty, Cal, also does the same thing. Even when, whenever she leaves to like go on the roof to smoke or whatever, he will. He's only a couple months old, but he will just bellow and scream and cry. He is. Uh, he does not like to be left alone without her. So DW is having a lot of trouble, kind of keeping up with the cat. Uh, the cat doesn't really follow her demands as Pal does, as Pal follows commands. And in fact, she wakes up not the first morning, but the morning after that. In this kind of strangely horrifying tableau where, like, all every single one of her toys has been, like, slit up and all of the, you know, uh, what do you call, um, cotton's been let out of it and everything. And it's just, it's panning around the room like it's like a war scene or something. It's, and, like, this really upsetting music. And DW seems very traumatized. It's kind, it is kind of upsetting. It, it, it's I loved this part. This was definitely the highlight of the episode. 
Um, it was almost like SpongeBob or Ren and Stimpy esque, uh, where like you know sometimes where SpongeBob or Ren and Stimpy will get really like kind of scary for a second because yeah. they'll show like a hyper detailed close up. Um, Does this it, look unsure to you? Yeah, yeah. It was like that, but it, instead of zooming in on like a character's pores or whatever, it was just like zooming <laughs> in on the carnage the cat hath wrought. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It's got like a horror movie style sting and DW is just kind of like screaming in terror as her room's been torn asunder. Uh, I really enjoyed this. This was like, I, this, uh, was my highlight of the episode. Oh, I've actually got a couple more highlights as we go along here. Um, so the, of course they're not going to keep the cat. They're still trying to find someone, but they, they're, um, they haven't gotten any responses back for, uh, you know, whoever the cat's owner is. So mom and dad potentially talk about maybe bringing the cat to a shelter, which DW is still a little resistant to. Mom says, maybe we can find someone to adopt it. Someone without curtains or fabric. More or less, DW is just having a hard time keeping up with the cat. It's kind of running her ragged. It's not listening to her, but she's still quite enamored with it, finds it very cute. And it is quite cute. Um, the cat escapes from the basement and like crawls its way up the drain pipe as DW has this dream. So I will say earlier in the episode, her and Arthur are at the video store. Children, ask your parents what the video store is. Mm, mm. And DW happens it, it, It's upon... like a red box, but bigger. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think that... It, do they still know what red boxes are? Like, Oh yeah, I think it's, it's more like of a if, thing in the States. Uh, maybe. But, uh... It's like if Netflix was a store. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So DW sees this poster for a movie called The Cat Strikes at Midnight, which is some sort of horror movie. And Arthur's like, you really don't want to watch that. Um, So she has a dream about trying to find her cat in the streets. And then the cat sneaks up on her and is somehow like giant and is chasing after her and also kind of has like, like an adult woman's voice. Yeah. So she like, she appears from under DW and then like looms over her and she has the line cute little W and then DW runs away screaming kind of terrifying like it actually kind of spooked me a little bit not only unsettling but it also kind of it 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 set off the animal hierarchy detector to the point where it broke right because (laughs) now we have a giant animal talking and speaking on two uh, standing on two legs and, and speaking like a person, um, but is still not quite animated the same way the other Arthur animals are. And so it's all very confusing, even though it's just a dream sequence. This is kind of a little bit of the breaking point for DW. But thankfully, you know, as DW runs down into the living room in fear, who should appear at the door? But the cat's owner, who is responding to the poster, it's Dr. Fugue. Yeah, Dr. Fugue. Dr. Frederick Fugue. Uh, they keep bringing back these characters that like, and Doctor Fugue is a fun one because okay, many of the references that we've been um, praising as as people who have watched the show in a way that was never intended from start to finish, um, Doctor Fugue isn't from the first three seasons like a lot of these references are. Doctor Fugue's no. from like season four, five, six, correct? Yeah, something something around there, I think. Yeah, so we're now even starting to bring in um, some of the. Uh, later, uh, you know, comparatively seasons into the fold. And it's it's fun. It's fun to know that kind of anything that shows up once could conceivably be part of the continuity. 
Mm-hmm. So Dr. Fugue, wonderful to see him again. Uh, we really loved him in the one episode. Well, actually, he's been in two episodes so far. He was in that one, and he was in the one where they were going to take the bus to the uh, to the concert in Crown in uh, Crown City, and then they had to stop at the diner. Um, so he's technically been in two, but it's so nice to see him. He's a rarely used character. I really like. So it turns out the cat's name is actually <sighs> Fur Elise, which is named after the Beto the Beethoven tra- that hot Beethoven track Fur Elise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the cat is very attracted to music as it lives in Doctor Fugue's. Uh, house, which which is why when DW originally met the cat, she was playing her little toy xylophone, and the cat was really attracted to her playing music. And we don't leave the episode. I mean, this is I mean, it's pretty much wrapped up. Doctor Fugue says that DW can visit the cat whenever she likes. He says you can visit her anytime you like, as long as you learn to play that a, a bit more melodiously. As DW is kind of plonking away on her xylophone. Yes, uh, because they realize that the cat's attracted to music, and that's why uh, she initially took to DW because DW was playing with her D- xylophone toy. And Doctor Fugue pointed out uh, that because the cat was warming up to Doctor Fugue as he was playing the piano, and then when DW played the xylophone, she came over, and Doctor Fugue points out he goes, uh, "She even likes music, uh, toy music, out of tune." Uh, so forever the critic, Dr. Fugue. And Dr. Fugue leaves us with one final great quote, which I just really like in general. I suppose one has to make their peace with cacophony. (laughs) As he plays the piano for, for Elise and DW plonks on her xylophone. There it is. Season 12, all done with. But before we go any further, let's talk about the episodes in review. Lucas, the perfect game. The perfect, was it? Well, I I don't know if it was a perfect, that's for sure. Uh, but I liked the perfect game. Um, it's a little bit weird uh, just because, you know, you think it's got this baseball theme and, and they're making this kind of city diorama. There's a lot of concepts going on at the same time, but it's all in service of this moral that it's like, you know... The, the old adage of a painting is finished when you stop working on it, right? It's never going to be quite perfect. It's never going to be exactly what it looks like in your imagination. Uh, but that's okay. And you can come to terms with that, which is uh, one of those classic kind of Arthur morals, which is it's a non-standard, uh, you're not your typical kids sitcom moral. It's not one I have seen before. Um, and they're definitely using a lot of... Uh, to steal a sports parlance left field uh uh yeah i know i know uh uh left field kind of concepts to tell that story so uh at first i I found it a little bit kind of confusing in a way because i was like where are they going with this there's this baseball stuff and then it's like about city planning what's going on um but when we got to the end i felt like the episode flew by uh i think it's been a while since we've had a good francine episode and i liked francine in this episode um her kind of um unsatiated curiosity matched with her um you know she's so obsessed with this stadium that it's never going to be perfect i thought it was an interesting dynamic um so yeah i i it's again not a super standout episode or anything but i found it enjoyable what about you will I really liked this episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely going to be up there by by the end of the season, which we're currently bearing down on. Um, and it does come down to a lot of the the messaging. Like at first, I thought it was like, oh, Francine's going to be obsessed with like getting the Grebes the perfect game or something. But no, it actually kind of led naturally into 
the real kind of idea. And I think you you explained it very well. It's the idea that perfectionism is something to be chased, not obtained. And it's kind of a bit of a heady thought. It's something that, you know, we as adults can still struggle with. So to, int- to introduce it in a show like Arthur, again, is something that Arthur has done in the past, and I always respect it for doing. And it does it in a way that's actually really interesting. I really like this project. Um, I loved Arthur City. I was really almost surprised at how kind of, you know, this, this is the end of the 2000s. We're, I, I'd say that, you know, sustainability was not necessarily as popular as it is today. And it's really cool to just have Arthur be like very forward thinking in his own way and not have that be the focus. It just seemed like something natural for him to want. And then to have Francine kind of go through this creative struggle in a way that I thought was very relatable and entertaining and very endearing. And I I understood it. And I think they accomplished it very well and applied it to Francine's character in a way that made sense. So I'm like two thumbs up for this. I really like this episode. And you know what? DW's furry freakout. I am often the one who is just like, ugh, another DW episode. This one's just for like little kids or whatever. This is one of my like this is easily the best DW centric episode that I've seen in a long time. And it's hard to explain, I guess. I think it just gives me, you know, I think it was a good idea to relate the episode to Pal in the cold open because the idea of DW having this animal to take care of, it really did give me season one vibes. Like it reminded me in a good way of like Arthur trying to train Pal and he's hard to train. He's a little misfit and, you know, that whole episode. So it was kind of interesting to take that idea and apply it to DW who does act on it in a way that's natural to her character. Like, she has a lot of trouble with it because she's a four-year-old girl, but she's determined, you know, she loves the little cat, and she wants to, you know, do what she can. It's just her own sensibilities running up against a cat. And for as much as people, you know, that we know complain about DW, it was like when we did our stream recently, I was actually surprised at how many people, like, can find themselves opposite of DW uh, still. And I think that the cat is a wonderful match for DW because it's not about matching wits. It's just like basically matching temperaments, I guess. And so, you know, if you've been waiting to ha- for DW to have the rug pulled out from under her, this is like her on the back foot the whole episode. And I haven't necessarily been wanting that, but I think this is this is one that could please even a DW hater. Now, y- you made the point about her making the baby voice, and I'm sure that that would annoy some people. And I liked, I kind of liked the way it ended up because it involved a character like Dr. Fugue. It's just like, okay, this is, you know, it's it was a fun episode and then it just got even more fun as it went along. So, you know, it's maybe not one of the best Arthur episodes I've ever seen, but it's good to know that the DW episodes aren't a complete write-off as soon as we, as soon as we, it's just like, oh, DW episode, we can stop paying attention. It's going to have some super condensed moral for like little, little kids. No, it actually turns out that they can still be just as entertaining as anything else on the show. So this was very nice and a very strong pair of episodes to end the season off with. I feel like that's been happening a lot is that the last episode of a season can sometimes really leave you feeling good about it. I totally agree. I think that uh, oh, good. DW's Furry Freakout, um, uh, just as you said, uh, they're ending the season with one of the best episodes of the season. I think it's a great DW episode. I think it's a um, 
it's always interesting to see DW kind of rub up against responsibility because often she doesn't take to it well, right? Uh, we go back to the episode where she got her whistle, her safety whistle, uh, and, and that's one example or one interpretation of what's it like when DW gets a little bit of responsibility. And then here we see, okay, what's it like to watch DW kind of try and take care of this cat? And at first I thought they were going to be a little bit redundant. Like we already have a cat pet in the show. We have Nemo uh, for, for Francine. It's like, oh, could this new cat story just been told with Francine and Nemo, but I think it's, they make really good use of DW, um, in this episode. Um, and I also really enjoyed the Dr. Fugue cameo coming in at the end to wrap it all up. Uh, cause you are thinking to yourself, okay, who is this cat going to belong to? Are they just going to give it to a generic throwaway character of the week? Like what's going on? And so that was a satisfying conclusion. And I also thought this episode was, um, it's one of those episodes with a, a good moral and a good arc, but it's also really funny. Um, there's some good DW lines throughout as well as, you know, that great moment where DW's room is totally destroyed. Um, lots of good little details too like for instance when um, DW wakes up from her nightmare afterwards you can see her <laughs> blankets in her bed her comforter her mom must have been sewing all night her comforter is all sewed back together um, yeah she, she mentions that like mom sewed everything back I'm just like that's a day's work dude there are like dozens of stuffed animals and yeah <laughs> if not more if not more so um, yeah those little details this one's definitely a step above um, the rest of the episodes of this season for sure I'm glad that we both kind of left it feeling the same way, and now, well, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks here at Elwood City Limits. That's the end of the episode. So coming up very soon, in fact, next week, as it so happens, we're going to have a double dose. Next week, you can expect our Season 12 recap. And for those of you who have not listened to one of our recaps before, what it is is uh, we kind of give our thoughts, our general thoughts on the episode as a whole, and we give our top five episodes of the season i have mine drafted up lucas uh, you may be taking a bit more time but you know going through the episode guide i i feel pretty strong about my top five and i'm eager to share it with everybody we are also going to be offering our patrons next week a new episode of for the kids a pbs kids podcast our sister podcast and in case you don't know patrons you have until sunday not just to vote for us at vote the coast vote dot the coast dot ca but to vote at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits, there are three choices for the next For the Kids episode. Will it be The Puzzle Place, It's a Big, Big World, or Whimsy's House? It's three PBS Kids shows based around puppets, and I'll be very interested to land on whichever one we do. I'm excited to check out all of these shows, but which one is it going to be first? Well, if you're a patron, vote in our poll until end of day Sunday, and we will see you on the next episode of For the Kids. And then in two weeks, Lucas, we're going to be coming up to season 13. And what a way to start this season, because the episode we're going to be talking about, and I, I know this is one that several of our listeners, I can think of one in particular, who have been waiting for this for a long time. It's going to be No Acting, Please!, and Prunella and the Disappointing Ending. One of those episodes has an enormous guest star. And I, I mean, in terms of star power, that person. Wow. This is going to be huge, and I can't wait to talk about it, especially talk about it with you, Lucas. I think you're going to love this. Oh, wow. I, I, bigger than Matt Damon? As big. Oh. And depending on how you look at it, 
Potentially more so. Okay, well, this is exciting stuff. Season Lucky 13 uh, coming up in two weeks here at Elwood City Limits. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, if you have voted for us at vote.thecoast.ca. Again, you still have until Sunday. Remember, patrons, to vote in the poll, patreon.com slash Limits. Thank you, everybody, for becoming our patron. We really hope that you enjoy all of the dozens of hours of content and more being added every two weeks. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Elwood City Limits. Really excited to get into a new season of Arthur. I'm Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Don't answer it! It's probably more cats! (laughs) We'll see you next time.